Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. This week is the return of RA's Critics Roundtable and as always we're going to be discussing three topics. First up, as we're now past the halfway point of the year, we're going to be talking about the albums, singles and producers we've been getting excited about so far in 2013. Next, electronic music has had its fair share of dominant trends over the last five years, but we seem to be struggling to label 2013 as the year of anything in particular. We'll talk about the genres that have at least been in contention for the title and discuss why it might be more difficult for a sound or a scene to really change the game in the internet era. And finally, in light of recent features with Simon Reynolds and Mr. G, we'll be chatting about our changing relationships with dance music and club culture as we get older. So, it's the return of the Critics Roundtable this week, and I'm pleased to be joined in Berlin this evening by RA's Associate Editor, Will Lynch. Will, you just got back from a week's holiday in the States. Were there any particular highlights you wish to share with us? Um, I guess the highlights would be just getting a ton of reading done. I sunk into sunk my teeth into Simon Reynolds' Energy Flash for the first time, which I've been to do for years. Um, so that was great, and just catching up on magazines, stuff like that. If there was any drawback, it was um, Flying United. No free wine, crappy bread-like product thrown at me at 7.30 this morning. Um, anyway, yeah, that was, that was terrible. Uh, and uh, I've got Jordan Rothline here also, RA's music tech editor. Over the weekend, I witnessed a, a house party set from you. You must have been playing to five or six people there I, I would say one of the um, hardest DJ gigs you can play if you collect house and techno records is the house party gig where you're playing for three people <laughs> it's very hard to get those three people going um, I, I, I find that everything always just seems too banging even if it's like a record that you you never thought of as being especially banging uh, I settled on this new thing from um, DJ Fettberger and Telephones this Tutti Frutti Del Mar track seemed to kind of get everybody going. Everyone was like nicely lubricated. And by that, I mean the three people I was playing for. Did you, did you do the uh, pitch everything down by minus five? I, I did. Yeah, yeah. I kept everything very slow. Yeah, I think I, I would say for a gig for three people, it was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, I have Finn Johansson from Macro Recordings and Hardwax. Finn, have you had a good summer so far? It was pretty confusing, I must say. I mean, it was like up and down all the time and uh, I was on the motorway for most of this day and uh, it was really raining heavily and then like a few moments later sun was shining so it was just weird and, and, and I think the whole summer was kind of that way. 
Mm. <laughs> How are you supposed to dress in these circumstances? I don't really know. I, I have this feeling that uh, I mostly do it wrong. So first of all, as it's been a fair few months since we did one of these and we're over halfway through the year, I'm going to start by talking about what and who everybody has been enjoying so far in 2013. We each put together a list before this and one of the recurrent names was Liberty Sound and the collective's members, Peverilis, Calton and Asusu. Will, you said in a recent Asusu review that at this point, Liberty Sound might be the most inspired label in Bristol. Why have they been doing it for you? For me at this moment, they sort of epitomize the approach of um, just coming at it from a very unconventional angle. Like it's at this point isn't really related to dubstep or anything like that sort of you know um vaguely stems from like the uk based tradition but in reality to me just seems like um you know they see the possibilities of where the different drum sounds can go as just being very very open-ended and um on the one hand uh it's quite like cutting edge but it also feels very organic and unpretentious and all the tracks are you know end up being very funky and um uh Yes, yeah, it's, it's just kind of, for me, this sort of optimal bass sound or whatever. Jordan, there was also a label that you mentioned. I think um, unpretentious is a great way of describing the music um, from kind of a, a the standpoint of how everything is put together. It's not very complicated. Um, Production-wise, it's not very complicated, at least on the surface. There aren't a lot of tricks being thrown around in these tracks. They just kind of get down to business. And um, I, I also find that they're very difficult to like put into a particular pile. Um, I, I believe I played maybe one uh, a Susu track at this house party the other day. <laughs> you know, they, they can kind of be as hard hitting or as uh, kind of light on their feet uh, as, they, as they need to be in any given set. And I, I really haven't heard a record on this label that I, I haven't liked. I think I actually said in a previous Critics Roundtable about Shackleton, and I was just thinking the same thing when I was listening to the newest Liberty sound earlier today, that has this quality of um, where it sounds like the whole thing is just a hair away from just not making any sense. Like if there was one clap or whatever missing or just placed differently, the whole thing would just be a mess. But it's just by a thread hanging on to this very kind of strange, elegant composition Um and when you're listening to it, it's, you don't, it's almost like you don't understand why it works. It's, you know, it's so, um, so out there and oddly put together, but, but also feels very right. I think for me, um, there was the cover of The Wire last month. Rory Gibb wrote quite an extensive piece on The Collective um, in addition to Young Echo. And I think one of the standout quotes for me was what um, Joe Calton was saying about there being absolutely nothing superfluous. Um, he was just... He was just saying that, you know, in a club context, if there's no reason for that element being there, then it just needs to be stripped back. And I think this is a, a, a kind of attitude that's pervaded the, the whole collective. I know they're coming at it from um, definitely from some different angles, like Pev's um, jungle roots, I think, really shines through. And I think on uh, from Joe's side, um, Grime, the way he's kind of assimilated that into his sound this year. Um, but I think that manifests in kind of what you're saying, the sort of rhythmic explorations and the sense really that you never quite know what's going to happen next. Yeah, I mean, I, th I said it in a review I wrote of this um, Liberty Sound 6 that to me it um, 
when people talk about um, like dance music being kind of like architectural or whatever, that's I guess that's sort of like a cliche sort of, but I, that I never really understood before. But um, when you hear these records, um, it sounds like um, the way the composition is approached. You know, there's there's something architectural about it. Mm-hmm. I guess like you said about there being nothing superfluous and every part kind of supports another part. And, well, and the tracks feel kind of like they're all built from the same parts too, but it's it's kind of amazing how much mileage or how many different sorts of structures they're able to get out of, you know, what what's really just kind of a very consistent um, kind of set of building blocks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, on the label there is a, like a definite aesthetic, but if you look at some of the work that the individual uh, members have done in collaboration, um, it does show that what they uh, do can kind of lend itself and it, it does have like a malleability. Like the um, collaboration Pev did with Hodge, like I don't think anybody saw a, a dreamy house record mm. coming out of his studio this year. And then uh, um, Calton's collaborated with, I've got noted down here, he's done stuff with Bashmore, of course, um, Andy Stott, Hytel, he was on Bakes All Caps label. And kind of, um, you know, spreading things around and uh you know i mean i mean for me i'm i'm always glad about uh the stuff coming in from from bristol because for me uh it's it's kind of an oasis <laughs> right now because I, I i still like uh uk uh records that kind of stick to their roots but are fresh nonetheless and uh, i think most records out of bristol totally deliver on that there was um there was also some overlap on um Jordan Will's list uh, with Lies. Um Jordan do you feel as though because Lies was a name on the tip of everybody's tongue last year do you feel as though they've kind of ventured forth into 2013 in an equally as strong fashion? I mean they've they've kind of just kept doing what they're doing in in almost exactly the same way they were doing it last year they're putting out an, an almost unreasonable number of records. Um, seems like there's always something new that's that's coming into the shops here in Berlin. Um, the records have been just as weird, if not even weirder, than they were last year. Um, and the, the label just kind of seems to be doing what it's doing. I, I wasn't sure how they were going to kind of keep going. When, when you have a banner year like that, uh, sort of the first thing that you think is, well okay, they kind of got it all out of their system. What's going to be the, you know, what's going to be the next label that's going to, that's going to do this. But I, I think that they're just kind of continuing to do what they do. And there, there've been some really amazing records that have come out. The Florian Kupfer record was, you know, has been absolutely massive, um, despite really not seeming like a massive record at all. When you listen to it, um, they've kind of continued to go down this sort of like hard banging techno route every once in a while. Um, and there, there've been some great records from returning artists too, that have maybe been better than the stuff they've done before. Tariq comes to mind. Steve Summers comes to mind. It's continuing to be a good year. I, I don't mm-hmm. think there's really any, any other label out that's quite like lies. Do you think there's a total danger of them kind of, um, flooding the marketplace? Um, actually, um, something I heard that was kind of interesting. Um, someone that runs the label was telling me that in order to, it's it's very difficult to create a reputation purely by being a label that usually um, artists that represent the label sort of carry the label's banner as like a DJ or a producer. 
And that's the way that you actually raise a label's profile. And the other part of it was that in order to really um, create a reputation as a label, you have to release an incredible amount of music. Um, and to me, I think Lies is kind of the example of that, where um, they release so many records that um, even if you don't like a lot of them um, or don't hear a lot of them, it still makes an impression on you. And I'm like, for instance, like Jordan mentioned, the harder techno stuff. Um, like I think of Lies as one of my favorite labels right now. But um, I don't even really pay attention to a pretty wide swath of what they put out. Um, nonetheless, they have maybe four records this year that I really, really like, which is more than any other single label. Um, and there are at least as many that I just have no interest in in, in buying or whatever. But mm. but yeah, but you know, they put out so much and it's all so different that, you know. Yeah, I think if you if you bought every Lies record, you you'd probably be broke. And you wouldn't be really be buying anything else, but you would still sort of have a very rich collection of music. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh... yeah. But 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 I mean, um, what what are what is the latest catalog number? I mean, it's like twenty eight or something. Okay, they they have all the additional white labels and stuff. Yeah. But uh, if you compare that to like some German labels. Uh, that been going for okay they they're going for a bit longer but they are running in three digits you know yeah. 200 plus releases yeah i guess it's yeah it's not as many as like it's, it's hot not flesh that much <laughs> and i think that they're pretty tight i mean uh it's stylistically it's really diverse but uh the, the level is still very high and i i um I actually bought more lice records uh than than before this year oh really yeah, yeah. I thought that uh, it really got going for me personally. I mean, it's it's not. I think a lot of the older records for me were just too retro, and I think that that has changed. And now, stuff is really uh, yeah, they're developing some some own signature. The artists individually, individually, for example, like Steve Summers doesn't sound like Steve Summers of two years ago. Sure, I I almost entirely agree with you. I think yeah. the least interesting thing on this uh, label for me is uh, something that resembles house music. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's anything above, beyond, below that tempo. Other excursions that are really uh, exciting to me. Yeah, how does this stuff do in uh, hard wax? Are they usually uh, do they usually sell well? Is this a kind of popular style for Berlin record buyers? It's it's a really popular label. Yeah, I mean they they're not. Uh, equally popular i mean uh some releases are uh, like hotter than others maybe but but that is uh, quite i mean it's it's just the music they put out it's it's uh, of course something like like the marcus cabral album or stuff like that which is pretty harsh it's not as accessible as uh, let's say the florian kupfer record or or other stuff and um, they have stuff like Swengali's Ghost and, and uh, that's is, is I mean they have some records that, that fit in any DJ set and then they have records that don't and but the, the interesting thing is that you know people that are more on a house tip they, they get served and um, uh, lots of people might not be interested in house at all and then they got some jacking industrial stuff and um, they they do all that but they have a co coherent uh, label identity and I think that is really really hard to achieve 
and respect to everyone who has, achieves that. And they do. Yeah, I feel like the, or my guess, the explanation for that coherent identity or whatever is just that it's Ron Morelli's taste in music, um, which, you know, like one person's taste, um, I think, often can have that quality of being, uh, you know, on on paper quite all over the place and crazy, but in some way you can't put your finger on kind of there's a common thread there. You know, it all makes sense in a way. And um, I know I, there was a video interview with him recently where he said his kind of A&R technique or whatever is, is sort of non-existent or it's basically just that people that he knows show him music that they've made. And sometimes his reaction is like, wow, I definitely need to release this. And, um, and that was why he started the label was just, he felt like he had so many friends sitting on so much good music that it just, the natural thing to do was to try to release it, but he didn't think of it as a project of like, okay, I'm going to start the label and get some really good artists and blah, blah, blah. It, it felt like something that just needed to happen. Um, so I think, you know, since the process is so organic, um, and it's just, you know, a one man show kind of, um, that sort of explains why there's this, you know, palpable personality even though there's so much you know variety in the records finn are there any trends you found particularly exciting this year that's kind of a um, thing that um, interested me a lot of times this year you know these records that were that were psychedelic in a way very tripping verging on unstructured at times and i thought there were lots of really interesting records uh, records coming out that kind of fitted that field. Mm. Um, I mean, even even if it's uh, hard wax related, I really have to uh, mention uh, labels like Achido, which I think uh, are incredible. Uh, Zoot 2, uh, you know, all these atelier related um, labels uh, that kind of also uh, are down with the sex tax brothers and stuff but um, they're different and uh, i think that they're, they're consistently putting out very interesting music that is totally on their own a label and um a pair of artists i want to mention were uh, mr top hat and our alfie um yeah. i have to admit i know very very little about these pair of artists um, yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah. What I do know is there's been a series of releases on uh, Kalovac. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure they've all come out this year. I think there's been six in total. Yeah. But it's yeah. been, for me, like a pretty non-stop stream of just very, very functional, like club-ready house music um, yeah. that has always had some element of surprise. It reminds me of like, it's kind of sound stream, but streamlined there's a little bit more bass presence in some of this stuff but um there were just a couple of records i think with some very clever um use of frequency manipulation um like for example uh, the track baby i want to see you're in love with me mm. um holding off the bass drop till maybe two-thirds of the way through the track um and it always struck me as one of those records that as a dj um, there wasn't too much information about. Nobody was really um, like repping these records. It would invariably um, have people coming up to the booth. Like, yeah. what is this track? Um, I think Ricardo's maybe been playing a few of the releases, which I think is always going to help. Could be. Uh, I mean, I, I was I was responsible for buying the the label for for the store, and 
it was really interesting how quick uh, the demand increased. I mean, it just didn't stop. It, it got more and more. And uh, at this point, I they, they probably repressed some titles even. And I just keep reordering the stuff week in, week out, and, and it, it sells. It sells. I feel like um, quite a wide um, range of DJs would fit their stuff into their sets um, for house DJs, um, kicking things up to a next gear, kind of mid-set. Maybe a, it's yeah. kind of loopy and functional enough for techno DJs to slot into their stuff. You know, I, I don't know who these people are. But they certainly um, found found some some sound. Uh, they developed some sound that is really working. Um, Will, you've written two RA recommends reviews of DJ Sprinkles music this year. This kind of follows suit on RA in that we've um, favorably reviewed his music in the past. Why does his stuff continue to resonate with you? Um, well, I think this is. Uh, this could, you know, this is partly just like a personal history thing, but I guess um, I always liked DJ Sprinkles, Terry Tamlitz, but I never, it was only this year that I saw this kind of um, fun side of him. Um, like I guess before I, um, the past few years, we've sort of seen the more, either the sort of cerebral side with Terry Tamlitz and the soulnessless, you know, um, thumb drive extravaganza. And, uh, and before that with, um, a few years ago with Midtown 120 Blues, which is very understated and um, quite sad and mellow and everything. And um, I guess, uh, you know, so I've liked him for a few years, but um, this year was sort of like, I don't know, seeing this side of his style that I wasn't really familiar with before, which is um, sort of the DJ side, I guess, um, with uh, the mix where Dance Floor Stands Still and then with the remix album. Um, I guess I just, um, you know, it might come from being someone who uh, is gets quite saturated with this music and everything. But um, for me, it's always nice when something uh, kind of, you know, takes the uh, clubby a clubby sound and I guess elevates it somewhat by being sort of having these sort of emotional shades of gray and um, you know, bring in kind of or like emotional ambiguity, I guess, too, and um being kind of like sad and mysterious and everything. Um, but maintaining this sort of, um, uh, club vibe, um, to me, it's, I don't know, it's, uh, I guess it's rare and it's, and it's, um, very compelling. Mm. Um, like I think of, especially I said this in the, re I started the review with this cause I thought it was the best example, but, um, his remix of, um, lost area by June, um, uh, Christian, uh, here at RA, described it to me as uh, an emotional roller coaster. And um, he was just like, yeah, it's like there's screaming and there's crying and it starts out really sinister and then it gets really sad. And, um, and that was, you know, it's sort of like when he was describing it that way, it just kind of dawned on me how, um, just how unusual that is. And um, I don't know, I think it's cool that I guess in the end that I think there really is much more range uh, within the style of music, the most, the most artists take advantage of. And, um, so yeah, that's that's sort of what makes DJ Sprinkles interesting to me. I wondered if um, anybody had had a chance to play out the uh, remix of the Mole that he released on Perlon. Yeah, that's a weapon. 
It's okay. <laughs> I haven't heard this dropped in a club yet. I was yeah, intrigued then, by what sort of uh, reaction that would elicit. Well, the, the, the thing that's, that strikes me about that record is it just sounds like DJ Sprinkles playing a record in a DJ set. You know, he's going nuts on the filter. He's very, it, you can really like feel his presence very active in this track. It's almost like bringing a little sprinkles into your own thing that, that you're doing. I guess I've only heard it out once and it was really nice. It sounded like you had as well, Finn. I, I played it at every gig I, I, I was for, for weeks now. I mean, I had it on as a test pressing, so even even a bit longer than, than others maybe. And I love it to bits. It's, it's working really well. I mean, it's, 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 of course, it's, it's a weird record, but, uh, at one point someone was, uh, telling me that, that it's, uh, some record that either clears the floor or everybody's totally going nuts for it. And, uh, I never cleared the floor with it uh, totally the opposite. It works really well. Did you see anybody doing like the DJ equivalent of the air guitar and then doing the whole air crossfader <laughs> thing? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean it's it's convenient for something like uh, for for somebody like me who who doesn't work the EQs at all. So I can probably maintain that I do it once in a while. I mean it's it's um, I think it's not uh, the the interesting thing about that remix is that it doesn't uh, sound gimmicky, and uh, I think that's quite an achievement when you consider how much he's applying these. Uh, EQing, crossfading techniques in that track, but it, it it's not disturbing, and it doesn't come on as too jokey for me. Mm. And yeah, I think it's just a perfect example of, of of him being just a great artist. So despite all this great music that's been released this year, at RA we've started to think of 2013 as being the year without a dominant trend. So in the recent past we've had things like dubstep, minimal, disco, deep house and bass music. But it'd be difficult to describe 2013 as the year of anything in particular. Um, Jordan, have there been any contenders for you? I mean, um, it seems like a lot of people have been making really, really great albums. Um, that isn't really a dominant sound so much as maybe just a maybe just a trend. Maybe this is everybody's release cycle is starting to hit that same point. Um, I mean, you know, we've we've talked a lot sort of internally about about um, techno, maybe sort of making a comeback. 
um, this sort of industrial strain of techno. There, there's definitely um, a little bit of a trend there, but it doesn't feel like this overwhelming trend that is sucking a lot of things in, getting everybody excited. Um, house has sort of remained kind of this trend. This has been something that's been going on for the last few years, seems to be continuing apace, but again, it's not a, a dominant trend that's just from this year, it's kind of a continuation of something else. Um, when I look at this year, I guess I've felt very strongly that I, I don't sense a one trend kind of sticking out over everything else. Um, I, I wonder if it's sort of the year that the internet has maybe really grabbed everybody and is, is truly starting to influence things in, a, in kind of a big and insidious way. Um, when, when you look at, uh, you know, something like dubstep, which is sort of the, the, the trend that we all kind of point to in these circles as, as being this kind of this big, this, this very specific thing that had these wide ranging repercussions. I mean, it's kind of happening in this one, one neighborhood, kind of these, uh, this, this relatively small group of people vibing off of what, what, what each other were doing. Uh, now, you know, if you're making music, you're probably engaged uh, in the internet to a large extent and just think about how many more people you have to kind of get in get on board with your idea at that point um i, I think the internet is great that it it introduces um people to new ideas and definitely lets people get involved who wouldn't be able to otherwise but it also creates this this sort of massive that i think is maybe hard to move in certain strange directions yeah that i mean it, for me i think it's uh it's largely a case of things not having uh, the necessary time and dark spaces to incubate. As in the past, if you'd like, you know, dubstep, I think is the past, uh, the perfect example. Um, in order for something to really uh, come and take a hold and for a sound aesthetic to really take a hold, it needs a little bit of time to develop. It needs its own rules. Like it needs its own um, well, people, uh, it needs its own clubs. You know, it needs the DJs repping this stuff. Um, but nothing's coming fully formed anymore. And I think that anything, any little um, blips in the continuum or blips in the lineage of this music are right away picked over. You know, these sounds like a, you know, a snare might be put in an odd place in a record or something. Two days later, this has been written about by a journalist. It's been all over social media. Yeah. This, this has already been like codified and categorized and everybody's picked over it and moved on to the next thing. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think the other thing is that, that a lot of like developments or even what some people may call trends are more like reactions to something that's already there. For example, uh, you, you had a, a really massive stream of all these really well-produced house records that totally sounded like the presets that they were produced with. and. Then there was a, a whole bunch of people uh, doing something that sounded more trashy and, you know, what then got uh, coined as outsider house and stuff like that. Mm. On, on the other hand, you have like, as, as we mentioned earlier, you have like lots of UK producers uh, being more straight uh, with the beats and, and what they do. And then you have like lots of records that are really interesting that do the total opposite and you know work with Amen breaks again and all these uh, proto jungle race signals and uh, lots of sound system tradition 
integrated as well and i think that's really cool mm. i mean that you know yeah you have some some something going on and then there's some counter attack on the way shortly after and i think that's that's a good way but yeah of course you're right i mean um uh a dominant trend uh, to evolve i i don't think that will happen too quickly and uh, there's a whole lot of uh, reasons for that probably i mean when everybody's working with the same digital equipment it's pretty unlikely that someone will will you know uh, flip a switch and something will be completely unheard of mm. i think that's that's one one thing that is uh, responsible for it I mean, it's funny that many of the things that you bring up or many of the qualities in the music that you talk about equally could have been applied to the music well, roughly this time last year. Um, yeah. It feels like the lo-fi aesthetic just has, it's really been a, I wouldn't say a, a trend in that it's, uh, you know, kickstarted a genre or anything, but it's it's funny that it's more of a, um, like a, a production style or it's something. Like a, it's like a permanent seems like a permanent part of like the palette at this point yeah very much so um will what has it been the year of for you if anything um well i guess kind of going along with what we were just saying um i think yeah on the one hand there's a a, a lack of this you know um distinct trends at the tip of your tongue but i also think um maybe you know part of that is is um like jordan was saying with about the internet there's this kind of um cross-pollination that just becomes more and more efficient as time goes on and everybody hears about everything and um i think uh you know one result of that that i've seen um i think that there are a few different examples but the one that i personally uh noticed this year was the um sort of osmosis between uh club music and experimental music um and I was I was at this festival in Austria called Danau Festival, and um, it just occurred to me that virtually or not virtually everyone, but more than half the acts I saw there um, were kind of like noise or drone or ambient or just out there, um, but they were all flirting with um, club beats of some form. And um, an interesting one for me was uh, Pete Swanson. Um, you know, he basically does these walls of noise, but then this four four thud would kind of sneak in there um it's interesting to me because uh i don't know i guess maybe 10 years ago a little bit less there was the same kind of overlap between um like noise music experimental music and rock um and there still is to some extent but you know like uh maybe 10 years ago i was listening to bands like lightning bolt and um wolf eyes and like they would play in rock clubs and there would be sort of a rock element, like, you know, people could kind of headbang and people would crowd surf and stuff like that. Uh, it would get crazy, but it really was just totally, you know, out there and experimental. And um, anyway, I sort of see that um, that same kind of uh, symbiotic relationship now happening with like house and techno and really experimental stuff. And, um, and actually, I was talking to Bill Kuligas about it at that festival, and he was talking about putting on the Pan Act Festival in Brooklyn. And he was saying that, um, you know, Brooklyn has this history of like that other stuff I was talking about, um, Wolf Eyes, uh, Lightning Bolt. Not that those bands are from New York, but the stuff was always popular there. And like, they had the No Fun Festival and things like that. And he sort of said that the Pan Act Festival um, 
we sort of tap into this audience that, um, you know, is, they used to be sort of like on the fence between experimental and rock. And now they're kind of on the fence between experimental and, and, um, and house and techno, which in a way, I guess strikes me as kind of ironic because traditionally, um, you know, like with, with this sort of, um, crossover, it's like on the one hand you have feel good vibes of like house music. And then the other, like intentionally headache inducing, you know, uh, no fun fest, like no fun vibes. Um, so in a way, it seems like a really unlikely uh, pairing to me. It's you know, just makes it kind of interesting. It, I mean, is it a reciprocal relationship at the moment? Are there uh, straight house producers and uh, and DJs who are particularly interested in these and the kind of acts that you're talking about, or is this noise artist just uh, gaining or bringing techno into what they do? Um, yeah, I'm not really sure, but um, I mean, I guess like it, to give a specific example. Um, well, like I said, Pete Swanson, but then also, um, uh, obviously he's always been sort of uh, club oriented, but, um, when I, was, I was pretty surprised to see actress play live and, um, he sort of does away with the kind of like open-ended, um, wishy-washy beats and, um, pretty much just brings in a techno beat. And, um, I think, f- uh, not to say that they're this, um, you know, uh, cynical or anything, but for a lot of them, it's, it's a way of, of making it appropriate for for a club or a festival or something um because that's where they get booked like most of these artists don't get booked in galleries or or early evening concerts um, they get booked in clubs and so it ends up being kind of like a you know um an easy way to you know perform i guess or, or to, to make their performance you know make sense to the audience I've, i find it interesting actually the few times that i've um caught some of these acts i guess the you know the artists you'd associate with pan or like a label like black is ever black um outside of their live performances when you go along to catch them very very often like when they're bringing together a dj or something they're playing old jungle records mm. or it's like hardcore or they want to kind of rep what they've or what they've come from or where their roots are with this side of things um i, I think for me one of the the biggest uh, barometers with this thing was um some of the lineups that richie horton put together yeah. presenter parties um for those who didn't see it there were acts like um lee gamble um dem like stare i think played andy stott um i'm just i'm interested i didn't hear any reports from those gigs but how that music and if that music would translate even in the context of like a tiny room in a six room club like space yeah i mean i guess that's kind of the epitome of what i'm saying dem dyke stare playing at space in ibiza like that's kind of an extraordinary phenomenon to me, you know, like sort of like, how did that end up happening? <laughs> how, was, you know, how did any, how did that cross anyone's mind as, as like a reasonable idea? But, um, yeah, I think as well. And we're talking about the, the leveling effect that the internet's had and um, kind of what Jordan was saying at the outset, or maybe Finn brought up before where a lot of these guys from a kind of UK and sound system and bass music background are going into much uh, straighter house and techno. And you're seeing this um, a lot on Rinse, mm. where you have DJs now. I was kind of browsing over the podcast for the last couple of weeks, and you've got names like Surgeon, uh, Bleed Music. Like I think Ben UFO had a bee mask on on his show recently. Um, you know, I don't think anybody would have called like bee mask performing live on Rinse like 12 months ago or something. Mm. Well, when I was you know recently at um, a lot of the Berlin Atonal events. You see all of the same people that you see when you go out to a techno show or something like that. And this is for music that is not necessarily club music. 
there's uh, there just seems to be a great deal of crossover of interest. Do you think in a way that there was maybe a gap in the home listening market for people who were kind of into club styles, but weren't necessarily um, having this box uh, kind of ticked for them? It's, it's not necessarily home listening, you know, I mean, but is it club music? Ye- years ago, this this was uh, an integral part of, of Clubland. Uh, as as you know, yeah, what were they called? Like mostly chill out room or whatever. I mean, mostly that what's popular today is not necessarily chill out music in the in a classic sense, but it's may I think it's 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 kind of going in the same direction. That that was it it it's vanished for years. And the whole, you know, all these ID classic IDM labels or whatever, they they were like dormant or, or defunct, and um, it totally vanished and disappeared, and uh, it left a gap. And I think there there are so many people that felt that it was missing, and probably also a lot of people that that really need an introduction to that because they didn't witness witness it firsthand when it when it was going on so now it's it's not like a classic chill chill out room for for people to just you know catch some breath but um it's it's i think the resurgence in in that kind of more experimental music not not uh, beat centered or whatever mm-hmm. I think it, it was just a matter of time that it was resurfacing and now it happens. But do you, do you feel as though it's actually um, become large enough where it's taken a hold in these clubs? I mean, you're, what you're suggesting almost feels like um, what would be the, nat- uh, the sort of natural continuation of what we're discussing. But has this music actually taken hold in like in room twos, like yeah, in the yeah, sort I mean, of classic chill out model? Actually, it, it was... It, it was what what Will was mentioning. Either you you do it in a like concert context where you have lineups with experimental acts, or you just put a beat under it and and see wh- where where it goes. And uh, yeah, a lot of techno records nowadays are doing just that. It's it's kind of they they apply some beat, and the rest is not like structured in a in a techno traditional way like. There's some signals, some bassline, some melody. Uh, a lot of techno is is just you know atmospherics, and some industrial drones and and noises. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, for me, this is not really something that that emerged this year. It's it's been going on for quite a while. But mm. um, what what I found interesting is that. Uh, um, and I agree with Will there that that imer- experimental, purely experimental acts will, will get much more popular than they did in the, in the last few years. That you could read about it everywhere. Some some blogs are already really specializing on it. Some labels are specializing on it. Some distributors. It, 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 suddenly, it's a market. You know. <laughs> you mentioned industrial there. Um, where she wrote a, what I guess you would. Uh, define as a trend piece uh, at the start of the year like kind of posing the question is this the industrial techno revolution um we were mentioning producers like blauan and sort of a uh, resurgence of interest in surgeon and um perk and people like this but what i guess what i want to ask everyone is 
if you've actually been dancing to this music this year? Has this just been something that's been kind of showing up on record shelves, but not not necessarily uh, making its way into club sets? Well, I, I went to Melt Festival, um, I guess back in July, and um, on one of the stages playing this sunrise set was Karen, which is you know Pariah and Blawan, and you know this is this is about as bleak as techno gets people seem to be getting into it you know it was kind of a very bizarre time to see that kind of music and i but but i don't know that anybody really noticed um i i think it went over pretty well um in general i i think that you know depending on what level of the club you're in you probably do hear a lot of it i think it was interesting that um with Berghain, I, I didn't actually, I mean, in the times that I'd visited this year, um, I didn't necessarily notice the sound there being noisier. I didn't, I didn't feel like this was a, a sound um, that they were necessarily picking up on or like this had somehow been absorbed into the palettes of like the resident DJs. I mean, I think it shows how, um, sort of how mercurial trends really are. Like, like I would actually say that um, when I first moved to Berlin almost four years ago, like Marcel Detman and Ben Clock, um, especially, it seemed like we're always playing pretty brutal, kind of overdriven sounding stuff. And now that has and it had nothing to do with, you know, it was before this industrial resurgence, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like a trend uh, could exist in sort of uh, the world of blogs and critics and, you know, interesting boutique labels and could have in some cases, like very little to do with um, what's actually working in clubs. And, and you know, so you saw what I was getting out with my questions. <laughs> I guess, I guess so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think, it, um, yeah, I think it can go either way. I, I think there could be something that is like a buzz um, on the internet um, or, you know, among sort of connoisseurs and stuff, but not necessarily on the ground or the two aren't necessarily connected all the time. I think it's also noticeable that, that uh, for some time, these, you know, industrial drone flavor was only applied to techno records. And now, uh, you know, like some stuff of lies, you can also say it's just like, it's a, it's a house beat. It's a Chicago house reminiscent uh, beat, but it is industrial sounds on top of it. Or take, for example, like, like Rough House, who do like a very good drum and bass records. Um, that sound like they they were purely made for Berkheim, you know, but they're drum and bass. Uh, also, like uh, a lot of the Felix K stuff, Hidden Hawaii and stuff. Mm. It's it's uh, it's industrial flavor drum and bass, and that I think is something that hasn't hasn't been there on that level mm. previously. So, working on the assumption that there will be a equal and opposite reaction. To this stuff, <laughs> yeah. Will next year be pianos. the be the uh, <laughs> the year of pianos and polished music? Do we think? Yeah, probably. <laughs>
So last month we ran a couple of pieces that got us thinking about our changing relationships with dance music as we got older. The first was an excerpt from Simon Reynolds' new update of Energy Flash, in which he attended Hard Summer in LA to write about the new incarnation of raves in the US. Uh, the second was a machine love piece of Mr. G, where he discussed his production methods with you, Jordan. Um, one of the most notable things about the pieces is both uh, Reynolds and Colin McBean are in their 50s. Finn, you have a wife and child now. Um, how has your relationship with dance music and clubs changed in recent years? Do you still go out much? I mean, the main the main thing is that I don't go as I don't go out as much as I used to. Um, but it, it doesn't. It, I I can't. You know, it, it's not because of I, I because I have a family right now. It's, it's more like uh, I have a full working week as well. Um, at at Hardworks and and in the years before I was working as a freelance uh, as a freelance writer mostly and doing the macro label and stuff and now I just had more time to go out and it's it's not like I'm not curious enough anymore and um, I'm not interested anymore that's that's not the point but uh, it's just like at, at um, I have to work a lot. Uh, at this point and on weekends I'm really just tired <laughs> and uh, it also applies uh, it also affects like like bookings for me it's like uh, there's some certain uh, schedule points I just reject like I don't start at 7 a.m. or something because it I, I just can't do that anymore it won't work I mean I, I want to if, if I play somewhere I want to perform well and there are some some times I know I know it just won't work. <laughs> so when you do get the opportunity to go out, do you feel like you're thinking especially hard about the context and you know where you're going and who you're going to see? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm going out for like thirty years now. I, I started going out regularly when I was about fourteen. So. I, I've seen a lot come and go, and at, if if over that long period of time, it's it's perfectly perfectly clear that uh, things start repeating themselves. So, uh, not not everything I I hear in clubs is, is is a revelation anymore. That's I mean it's perfectly natural. And uh, but um, the other thing is if if you feel. Um, you're totally not surprised by anything anymore then just stay home you know it, it doesn't make no sense i'm i'm still i'm still curious i'm i'm still like to be surprised but but that is like the main problem that i like to be surprised and uh the surprises are getting fewer and fewer i i have these talks with people my age and it's always like or a lot, a lot of them are like it was all better back in the day, and then they blame, blame a younger generation who kind of agree that it was all better back in the nineties or whatever, and they try to recover that, and they want to do exactly that sound, and and then you, and then the old folks say like, um, please make it as as good as back in the days and it, it, it's like it's it's just uh, going around in circle and it leads to nothing <laughs> so two questions <laughs> was it better back in the day and how old are you <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm 40 i'm 44 this year and 
it was not back uh, it, back in the days it was not better it was just different and that's uh, the main thing um, what you always have to keep in mind is that pioneering days are always easier uh, when things start out to happen it's always easier because there are no rules and uh, everything is fresh and uh, so when you know whatever when house came on when techno came on when when whatever style of of, of both came on um, there was no no established rule book just some kind of club tradition like there was some disco roots there was some reggae roots or whatever but you could do whatever you want and you you established something new and uh, but the other thing is that you know and this is always something that that annoys me is that uh, people say that today everything sounds the same or whatever and it was always that way you know uh, how many people tried to sound like Todd Terry in the late 80s early 90s were tons of records uh, copying Todd Terry on or that particular new groove organ sound or whatever it's, there were always some people who had an idea and and some people copying that for a while but of course you cannot um, you cannot deny that uh, there were more like lasting musical revolutions in those years. Uh, but yeah, uh, the music hasn't existed before. And um, I had to, uh, I'm, I'm pretty aware that I had the privilege to uh, see that evolving, uh, you know, as an, a first hand being there dancing on the floor. And uh, of course, that's great. But um, I wouldn't say that that it was the the clubs weren't better or something or, or the music were, was better. There's still so much great music coming out today that that would keep me interested. I I'm I'm not worrying about that. And if I um, I think if I would have to start worrying about that, I would also like reflect if maybe it's just time to <laughs> to stay in. <laughs> Uh, Jordan, were the clubs better when you were a young man? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had kind of an interesting experience this year, I guess, because um, I moved over at the beginning of the year from New York, coming to Berlin. Um, and it's not that New York is lacking in um, nightclubs or in good things to see. I mean, we, there's some amazing bookings in New York, but Berlin is just on a sort of slightly different level. There's a different energy to it. Um, so I got here and, you know, you pick up a Berkheim flyer, you see that there's, you know, a 46 hour homopathic every single weekend. And, um, your, your gut tells you, I have to go out. I have to see everything. So I think, you know, the first month or two that I was here probably spent almost every weekend at a club and something that you learn about Berlin is that there are going to be amazing lineups every single weekend. And if you miss one weekend, there will be another one, maybe even the next weekend, where there's something that's just as good or nearly as good. And it's going to be it's it, it will also be an amazing experience. And, um, you know, New York, when something not that there aren't good things all the time, but when something really amazing comes through, you have to grab it and here almost everything looks like that. Um, so I think that in in my um, what is it, seven or eight months of growing up in, in uh, Berlin clubs. Uh, I've definitely slowed down uh, in terms of 
how much I've seen, and I think it's made me appreciate what I have seen a lot, a lot more. Will, do you feel like you're as open to new sounds as you were when you were younger? Um, no. Well, or like yes and no, I guess. Uh, I think I sort of um, become a bit more like realist in terms of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like if, if there's a, a artist who I don't actually, I haven't heard anything firsthand about how good they are as a DJ or whatever, um, I'll probably not give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, where I think when I was sort of like, more on like a honeymoon phase um want to check everything out and now i sort of need a bit more of a guarantee that like this will have turned out to be worth most of all the lack of sleep and then of course also like money and things like that um but yeah i guess for me the, the sort of growing up the the swinging of the pendulum or whatever was um that i used to um really look forward to an opportunity to go out and now I, it's the reverse. Like I look forward to the assurance where it's like, okay, I can definitely take this weekend completely off. Um, it sounds really strange, but it might, it might show how, you know, um, again, that might only be true for people that have such a saturated existence with this stuff. I, I you know, there's this, I think there's a, something I always thought that was true of, um, you know, going out to clubs is, um, you know, like they say with like, um, people using drugs like uh the, the nature of like a drug experience is like uh you have a really really good one like first time or the second time you, you do something and then f from then on you're chasing that first like high uh, it was absolutely the same thing with going to clubs at least for a little while and i think you hit a point where it's like you realize um you're not going to outdo that time like you know that was in your sometime in your first three years of going out where you were just at, you know completely um transcendent just totally mind-blowing experience after a while you realize like yeah okay that's not happening again <laughs> and he's like i'll still go out i'll have a great time hear great music you know it'll be very memorable but um you just realize like um you're barking up the wrong tree if, if you know if you think that as you're in line for the club like maybe this will be you know the best one ever um chance of that just kind of go down 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 so you um, so you now operate within this sort of reduced level of joy of capacity for joy now yeah, <laughs> basically well i mean um well I, okay and i have to say like I'm, I'm probably coming off more pessimistic than i actually am just within the context of this topic do you feel like the uh the sort of nature of the venues you attend this change as well do you kind of seek out the uh i guess is the uh, older person cliche of like intimate spaces and uh, cozy atmospheres and stuff <laughs> yeah but, but the thing is if you if you're older if you're my age uh you can go wherever you want that's the really special thing about berlin we all live in a bubble here you know if i go to a club i'm I, it's it's more than likely that i'm not the oldest person there mm. if if i you know if i go to clubs or play in, in clubs in smaller cities uh that's really dramatically different so um yeah that's just a really important thing that you don't have to take care of i mean would you i mean maybe it's different for berlin but would you be closely considering what you suppose the crowd was going to be like yeah. You know, would you go to an event if you thought it was going to be all 21-year-olds, for example? Um, I don't know. If, if, it's a, if it's a DJ I'm really interested in, um, I probably wouldn't care. But yeah, of course it would feel awkward. 
uh, I give you that. <laughs> um, yeah, it, there's some, you know, like shades of responsibility that swing into action then, you know, what, what am I doing here? Am I a good example? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, that, re that reminded me of, um, in, you know, as you started with the Simon Reynolds thing, and um, it's not in the excerpt, but Angus Finlayson, who contributes to RA, did an interview with Simon Reynolds where he talks about the hard summer thing. And he said that he, when he went, he um, ended up, like his niece ended up tagging along and that he has kind of like a paternal relationship with her. And um, being at, you know, he went one night by himself and like checked the whole thing out and felt one way about it. And then when he came with his niece, who he felt somewhat protective of, he suddenly had this totally different perception of the whole thing where he realized it, he it was a little bit threatening like he didn't really want her to um leave his sight and stuff like that and he kind of realized how um i you know just being in this parent you know semi-parental position cast the whole thing in, in, a, in a different light all of a sudden and um he, he almost felt self-conscious he'd been celebrating this culture his whole life and then once he actually sees it through the eyes of a parent he's like whoa what, what the hell is this thing yeah i mean I'm, i might put my own daughter on a guest list in a few years that kind of freaks me out <laughs> um do we feel as though we're um sort of actively exploring ways to um keep ourselves fresh as we sort of grow older with this music do you, do you have tactics for kind of keeping yourself fresh, whether that's through your listening habits or, you know, like we've been talking about the nature of clubs that you go to. I, I definitely think that I do. Um, I, I guess now for a year or two have been basically working full time in music. And it's really weird when you make the transition from uh, just being somebody who's obsessed with music to now being someone who is not only obsessed with music, but is being paid to be obsessed with music. <laughs> And I'm always looking for opportunities to um, remain obsessed with it kind of in the way that I, that I used to be, where I don't have to take into account um, types of music that I'm not personally invested in or, um, uh, you know, just, just having to, to think about it like I'm on the clock. Um, going record shopping, I think, for me, is the, the, the thing that really keeps me uh, excited about things. Because that's something I was doing um, back when I didn't have a job and couldn't really afford to be doing it. Um, it's just, it's, it's nice. Nobody's like giving you these records and saying, you know, please give us your feedback on these or you're not having to write a review of it. You just get to grab a bunch of vinyl and sit down at a listening booth and listen to it and see if you like it or not. And you don't have to give anybody except yourself a good reason for why you like it. Um, I think too, you know, just going to a club and trying to disappear as much as possible and not schmooze is always fun and keeps things fresh. And um, I, I think for me, these are just just two things to try to keep kind of the weekends separate from work and um, keep record shopping as separate from work as possible. Yeah, I, I definitely think I was in that um, position a few too many times, um, certainly last year. And it was something I was looking to address this year where I woke up the next morning and thought, I was just chatting with the people I chat with on a regular weekday. You know, I'm not about the same topic, about the same topics. <laughs> yeah. Finn, do you feel like your um, listening habits and the way you consume this music has changed much over the years? Absolutely, um, because I don't have the patience anymore to to deal with music that is 
not pushing things forward. Uh, I mean, I really try to concentrate on, on things that are really, to my personal opinion, uh, worth pursuing. And you, you know, try to cut out all the middle ground with uh, releases that are just, just, you know, serve some purpose on, on, on a publicity level or whatever that were released not not be being really good music but uh, just just for some strategic reasons mm. and it's so it's just you know heaps of of that stuff every week and i i tend to totally ignore that uh, right now and really try to concentrate on on what what is really you know what I think is, is uh, this you you should probably check out. This is the one level, and then you know when when people um, whose taste you can trust you know recommend something, then you take them some time out to check that, and not you know browse uh, through some some releases that are probably not worth your time. So as an encapsulation, you'd say that um, at this point, what you're still searching for is innovation you're still kind of after the shock of the new yeah absolutely i mean that uh is is my main motivation still i think that really hasn't changed at all uh you know my my interest in music maybe yeah the obsession with it uh i think you know it's it's actually the same when when i had my you know first pocket money and and went out buying records with me you know i was like six years old or something and you know when when new boxes arrive at the store and i, I unpack them and and put them on the on the deck and and check what's on it it's still the same uh i hope i will never lose that and and if i lose it i, I probably have to you know seek another profession because i think it's the only way you can do it properly Thank you.